0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join
1: the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive, Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates,
0: price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Welcome into the oddson Audibles Podcast. My premark Scopo, Jared Mack on today's show. It's week 13. Oregon is one of just 12 teams playing college football this weekend. Six conference championship games across the landscape this week. Uh Oregon will be potentially the first team to punch a ticket to the college football playoff uh, as they take on the Washington Huskies in Las Vegas. Uh, before that game wanna, and before today's show, want to remind you guys that uh, the last couple of days, maybe hours of our biggest sale of the year is going on 75% off an annual subscription to DuckTerritory.com. Uh, that's the easiest, most impactful way to um help support this podcast that we do for free almost on a daily basis during football season for less than 27 dollars you can get all the coverage of Oregon football men's and women's basketball jared's coverage of baseball we'll have softball coverage on the site you can read all our national analysts you can read all the other team sites across the country as well for just less than 27 dollars for one year uh take advantage of that while it still lasts Okay, uh, Eric, you've got the questions. Let's open up the mailbag.
1: Yeah, let's start here with a question from at page James 85. He starts, hey, guys, loyal watcher of Ots and Audibles, first-time question asker. My question is, what do you think is a bigger key to winning this game? A, third and fourth down efficiency. B, winning the penalty battle, a.k.a. playing with discipline. And C, winning the turnover battle, hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thank you, Paige, or I guess probably James. I'm guessing this is James Page, maybe. Maybe is the name. Maybe inverted it on the handle here. Uh, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate you uh, chiming in here. Um, you know, it's it's probably worth starting with A, just because of what happened the last time these two teams met, and Oregon went 0-3 on fourth down, and the impact that had on that game. Um Kind of interesting. I don't know if you guys have looked at this and how much success Oregon has had on that down um, ever since that game, which is to say that uh, they've had one failed fourth down stop since and on the season are uh, 15 for 21 on fourth. Pretty good. That puts you top 10 nationally, that rank. And if if they had – if you just take out the Washington game, they'd be 15 for 18, which would be first nationally on fourth down. So uh, strangely, I don't know if that's my answer just because they've actually been pretty good at it um obviously they weren't the last time these two teams played and if they'd converted probably just one of them or chose to kick a field goal in one of those spots maybe that game goes a little differently so i understand why that's at front of mind but personally i'm going to pick b just because i think we've seen more issues more sustained problems with with penalties than we have with with third or fourth down efficiency oregon's actually been pretty good with both of those um you know, I think, I think about this game and I go, the way these two teams have been playing, this is probably one where the best case for Washington winning is Oregon making a lot of mistakes. Um, yeah, I think if these two teams played like about as well as they're capable of at this juncture of the season, I think Oregon would win the football game. Um, there goes Matt, and I think he's coming back. Um, so I, I, I would lean, in my opinion, I would say it's probably B, um, I get the case for the third and fourth stuff just because of what happened the last two time, time these two teams met. But I, I think if Oregon plays a clean football game, they're very capable of winning this game and maybe even creating some separation here. Um, I, we'll get to some stuff on Washington this week. It's just been kind of a weird, weird run since the last time these two teams met, and there's certainly some things that I've picked up on that I will talk about as we get going on this week.
0: Well. Oregon did B and C last last time they played Washington and still lost because of their inability to convert on third and fourth down. Um, they won the turnover battle, one to nothing, and their penalties were basically the exact same as Washington's. Oregon had five for 55, and Washington had five for 45. So, you know, college shock, pretty 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 dang even. But as Eric mentioned, the 0 for three on fourth down, um, 10 of 16 on third down was great. But those fourth down plays go. And if they and if they perform well and they get the first, um, you know, it could be the other direction. It could be Oregon with the undefeated Pac-12 season and not Washington. But that didn't happen. And Oregon lost the game 36-33. I think I I brought it up like after the game against Washington, like why Oregon went for all of those. Maybe they didn't have enough confidence in their kicker. I think we can kind of see that now. Um, Many, many weeks after the fact that, you know, there was a problem with uh, potentially kicking field goals in some of those certain situations but um now going into this week like i still think it's third and fourth down efficiency that's going to get the difference between a win or a loss because um, i feel good about oregon's ability to potentially create a turnover um, michael Penix doesn't create a lot of turnovers uh, johnson doesn't fumble the ball a whole lot So it's going to be difficult regardless. I think the one turnover like they had last time against Washington is more of like the the number that you'd most likely expect in this game. Um, Oregon obviously is a very good team and not forcing turnovers. Um, They're kind of limited in in creating turnovers, but again, that's kind of a luck thing, and it just happens on defense. Sometimes it's it's just that the defensive line gets to the quarterback before he has time to throw, and he gets a sack instead of a turnover. So sometimes it's luck, sometimes it's just – Uh, Sometimes it's a little bit of skill, but I I don't think the turnover battle is going to be um, something that Oregon dominates and Washington just doesn't turn the ball over too much. And penalties, Oregon has actually done a pretty good job in recent weeks of of eliminating penalties. Um, Obviously, there's still some games this season where they have put up a lot, like against USC, um, and that can't happen. That's Like Eric said, Washington is going to take full advantage of that if Oregon is putting up like 10 or 11 penalties in a game. Um, like a lot of good teams would. Uh, for me, I think it's just the third down conversions. Just keeping your offense on the field, um, going down and scoring uh, against a Washington defense that has been up and down at many points this season. Um, they looked good against Oregon State, but it was in the rain. They looked decent against Washington State, but that's against a five and seven team. Um, I know that Cam Ward's a damn good quarterback, but. I think keeping the offense on the field against Washington's defense is going to be on, on like the biggest difference maker in this game. Just forcing Washington to keep score and hoping that your defense can come away with a couple of three and outs, a couple of just stops, forcing some punts like they did last time against Washington.
2: I mean, there's not much more to say. I mean, I would say if I wasn't going to pick A, which is third and fourth down efficiency, I would say winning the turnover battle because if you cause three or four turnovers in this game, which like Jared said, they don't Washington doesn't turn the ball over all that much, but if you can get them to turn it over, that's basically equivalent of a fourth down stop or, you know, two or three third down stops You flips the game, flips the field position. But the answer is a three and fourth down third and fourth down efficiency.
1: Washington has given it up a little bit more than I think. I mean, they're 16 on the year. They're plus one on turnovers. Um, none of us picked it necessarily, but that might be something to keep an eye on in terms of, like, you look at the. I was just pulled up their their game log in terms of turnovers. They've had at least one every game except for the opener. Um, mm-hmm. had, well, I mean, had if both. they
2: turn the ball over like three times, I don't care that if Oregon goes one for three on fourth down.
1: Sure. Of course. Yeah. No, that negates all of that. I'm just, I'm just bringing it up. Like, you know, there's, there's something to it. Like uh, Oregon conversely has, has been much better in terms of protecting the football um, nine uh, six lost, sorry, all season compared to 16 for Washington. So um, that could favor Oregon. If that's a stat that uh, that becomes important, obviously turnovers are extremely important in every single game. And we think this game has a chance. And, and I think most do for it to be very, very, very competitive. So um a ball bouncing one way or the other. And like Oregon actually just one last thought on this cause it was interesting. I, for those who uh, haven't seen it on um, our podcast on Friday, we talked about comparing this team to the 2014, the 2012 and the 2010 team. Those are the other teams that have gone up 11 and one or better in regular season play. The one thing that stood out when I went through, I actually did an exercise where I compared statistics for every single one of those teams. Uh, spent a couple of hours doing it, it was fun. The one thing that really stood out was this team does not force turnovers anywhere near as frequently as those teams. Um, Fifteen this year for Oregon. You go back, the 2010 team and the 2012 team each forced, uh, sorry, forced more than 30 um, in their seasons, like twice as many. I don't know. That was one of the very few statistics that defensively this one would, uh, that this year's defense wasn't clearly better than everybody else. Like you looked at the yardage stuff, and it was like very very strong. So, forcing turnovers is something Oregon actually hasn't done at quite the rate as we're used to with some of these elite teams just thought i'd bring that up um, in the context of the conversation that we're having um, anything else here
0: uh the little bit of the turnovers like makes sense i feel like oregon's defense has played a lot of good quarterbacks this season and that's for you know every once in a while i was forced to turnover, over but that's um, just better than playing mediocre quarterbacks i'm sure the the like defenses from three, four years ago, I've had more turnovers than this year's squad, but I think it's all in part of like, who's, who's on the other sideline throwing the ball. And when you're playing DJU, Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, Cam Ward, like these guys, they, they can obviously can make mistakes and will make mistakes, but not as nearly as a high level as uh, other quarterbacks in this conference have. There's some truth to that. Yeah. I don't know. My first
1: thought is also like, I think Oregon had three turnovers forced of Andrew Luck, who was a pretty good quarterback back in 12 uh, or a, uh, 10. Okay, uh, let's move on to the second one from at Quack Realist. I need your thoughts on Jaleel Florence's availability. Opinions on if we can hold up without him and what are we going to do schematically personnel-wise if he's unavailable? Hashtag and Thought this was a good place to start kind of going further into some of the minutiae. Um, I think you guys can correct me if you have different differing opinions. I don't expect him to play in this game. And I think there's a real chance like, we're not gonna see him even in a bowl game. I, I don't know what the significance of what his injury is, but crutches doesn't seem great. Um, I think there's been some rumblings out there about some maybe some medical procedures, Jared, if you wanna kind of chime in on that. I know we were talking about that up in the press box. Um, regardless of like the longevity of this, pretty confident we don't see him Friday. Um, and so this is a good question from Quack Realist. In terms of can they hold up? Well, this is the worst possible matchup not to have your number two corner. Like, let's just be real about it. Like, Washington doesn't just have one really, really good receiver. We've talked about this, obviously, a ton leading up to the game up in Seattle. They had three, and Washington won that game really with just two of them playing. I think McMillan probably played less than a dozen snaps, and He played, I think, maybe a drive or two before um, coming out. So this is going to be an even more stiff uh, task for Oregon secondary. Um, So that's going to be a challenge. And obviously, Julio Florence was a number two and they played like it. This last game against Oregon State, we saw Dante Manning play and there were some real highs and lows, like some some real ups and downs. That's kind of been the Dante Manning story since he arrived here where there are some flashes and there are some moments that it's not good. And if you go back and watch the game, obviously he has the interception. I think he had another pass breakup that was impressive, but he was also beat on a couple of third down plays where he wasn't particularly close in coverage. So, um, he is not as good of a player as Jale Florence. There's a reason Florence was playing above him. Now, I do think compared to some other positions, Oregon has maybe a little bit more cornerback depth than people want to give him credit for. Um, against Washington up in Seattle, they, we saw a lot of Trey quez I wouldn't be surprised to see him play a little bit more. Same thing with Nico Reed. I don't know about Roger Pleasant, who was a guy who would have also been in this conversation had he not also been injured recently, and I don't know what his status is. Um, I think they've got depth. I don't know if they're going to, like, be able to make up the difference, though, between Florence and the drop-off to the guy beneath him. Um, so I think this is pretty significant, and just from a early-on-the-week perspective, I would imagine Dante Manning gets the start again, and as he did this last game where he played the high majority of the snaps opposite of, of Kyrie, I would imagine that'll be the case again, unless it becomes very clear early on that's not the case. In which case, you start probably seeing some of these other guys rotate in a little bit more.
0: Matt, you want to go before me before I steal
2: your thunder? Sure. Um, I think it matters. I think I'm more concerned about the safety position than the cornerback position because two years in a row, Michael Penix has, has just dominated Oregon safeties um, you know and the, the touchdown to, to give them the lead in the fourth quarter this year um, Evan was there um, it would have been a tough play to, to make no doubt um, but or not the touchdown but the, the big one to, to Adunze to get him across midfield and the next one was the touchdown um, but Evan was there to make a play and he didn't do it and then it would have been a tough play, but it still didn't happen. And then we saw last year with Bennett Williams getting torched multiple times. Um, I think Florence, his injury is, it's not good. If you listen to Dante Manning and what he said post-game, uh, it sounds like what Eric was talking about. of We might not see him play again. Uh, Dante was very down in the dumps about Jalil not being able to play. He said that he told him that game was for him and that you typically don't hear that type of stuff for guys that are out for a game or, or two. Um, I also don't think it might not matter. I don't know if you saw how much of the Washington state game um, Cougars got a ton of pressure on Penix. He looked horrible. He, He missed a bunch of throws and post game. Like he's, I feel like they they won despite his struggles. He was inaccurate. He overthrew targets. He underthrew targets. He got a ton of pressure. Um, and I just – I look at Oregon's front seven and think they're as good, if not significantly better, than what Washington State's is. And the great equalizer when you have a weakness at cornerback or in the secondary is if you can get a pass rush and you can kind of speed up the process for that quarterback it doesn't really matter how you know the gap anymore because the time to throw isn't there it's a concern um but i'm equally concerned about safeties but it may not matter if Oregon can generate a pass rush because since that washington game Penix hasn't looked the same in the last couple of weeks he has not looked good at all um on on the field they've, they've won and they, you have to give them credit for that you have to acknowledge that they've found ways to win ugly the last couple of weeks they've played good teams too um but he he has not looked the same as he did against Oregon in October
0: Yeah Pennick certainly hasn't looked the same I'm trying to find a stat about his first 6 games of the year compared to his last 6 games of the year um just isn't producing at a at, at the high level that he that he was earlier in the year um which uh, is a positive for Oregon um, because, you know, you'd rather be going against the lesser version of Michael Penix Jr. than the better version because he's, when he's on, he's really on. And you saw that in the game against Oregon, um, even though he was dinged up and clutching at his ribs for basically the entire fourth quarter after taking some shots from Oregon's defensive line, he made some damn good throws some tight window throws. Um, the Evan Williams play. I know I've, I've, we've all seen it. I, I'm not going to put any blame on Evan. I think he was going deep. It was a back shoulder throw. Uh, he was safety help over the top, and that's just not his thing. He was expecting the guy to go further, but that's that's more of like a. I think that's more of an opinion piece until we hear Tosh say, "Oh well, yeah, no, he was supposed to do that." But we never will hear him say that. Um, to talk about Julio Florence, yeah, I don't I don't expect to see him play this week, and like Eric and Matt said, in the bowl week either. Um, depending on when that is. And honestly, it doesn't even matter when it is. It could be in the end of January. And I really wouldn't expect to see him play. Um, we saw him on the sideline of the Oregon State game with crutches and street clothes. Um, obviously not a great sign, but I think that's this is just how it's going to be. I think it's going to be Kyrie, and it's going to be Dante, and Triquez, and Nico Reed, um, that trio of guys, depending on certain situations. and. I think it's important to note, like Eric did earlier, that you know Jalen McMillan only played a handful of snaps in that first Washington game. Um, he's back. Uh, he played a lot this past week against Washington State. Had a bunch of catches. Um, he hasn't really been playing in the last month, um, like at all, ever since that Oregon game where he came in, dinged up, left, dinged up, and has been dinged up. Fun fact: for the last month and month and a half. So, I'm I'm extremely excited. Oregon needs to get to the, needs to get to the pocket and pressure Michael Penix, like Matt was saying. Um, And you feel, you feel good about Kyrie Jackson. And, you know, he didn't play a whole heck of a lot against Washington. He was dinged up on the same play with Jaleel Florence in the first half. And then Triquas Bridges and Dante Manning played a lot. And I think Kyrie came back and played his own fair share of snaps. But um, you certainly would rather have 100% Jalef, or excuse me 100% Kyrie Jackson than an 80, 75, whatever he was playing at in that first Washington game. Um, it's going to be difficult. They need to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, I think Dante Manning is is a physical guy. Athletically, he can hang with any receiver, but it's all about technique and it's all about fundamentals when you play Washington's guys because Penix is going to throw the ball where only his receivers can get him, and he's so good at that with these back shoulder throws, these low and away throws that. You know, it's a connection that he has with Roma Dunze, or Jalen Polk or McMillan. Um, uh, maybe even we'll see a little Giles Jackson siding because it's a postseason game. Then they want to burn his red shirt. Like there are a lot of options here for Washington's offense, but it all starts with fundamentals, technique, and getting to the quarterback. And they're going to have to do that without Julio Florence because I don't think he's going to play.
1: Two last thoughts on this, and then we can move on to question three. Um I referenced him earlier my buddy husky fan sam which i think is what i called him before and i've been texting about pennix and how he's looked and he thinks he's been dealing with a, kind of a significant rib kind of somewhere in that range body injury since that oregon game and he felt watching the game on saturday that that might have been re-aggravated or something so that's something sur-
2: press conference what's that did you see his press conference no i didn't actually he kind of referenced it he said something along the lines of like, well, I'm, I'm dealing just thank you for my, for my privacy. That's all. Thanks for the question. Yeah. Like didn't, wasn't even asked about the injury. I think he was asked about like, did you play well or do you feel like you you gave your best effort? And he kind of opened that door of I'm hurt.
1: I think he has been, since the Oregon game, and it's just now getting worse because of some of the – like, he got drilled. Like, we talked about the – org, like, you may have mentioned it. Like, when Oregon played up there, he got hit a lot in that second half. Washington yeah. State hit him a very – sim- a ton. And so, uh, we'll see how much that matters. And then the last thing I was going to bring up, and Jared kind of made me think of it when he was talking about the chemistry at Pennix and a half, have, but talking about Jaleel Florence, the bigger thing for me is, like, You're just. I think you're just going to put that we talk about the personnel and the scheme stuff. This also means to me, like you, I think you have to have Kyrie on Adunze like every down. I I think you're going to try really, really hard to make that the matchup as much as as humanly possible. Obviously, there are going to be situations where where Washington will scheme you out of that, but the value of him becomes even more important. And we should acknowledge, like. Kyrie wasn't on the field in that second half, basically, um, or most of the second half at least, when they played up in Seattle. So having him available feels really, really significant. And it feels even more important just because with your number two corner, they're gonna probably they would be targeting whoever that would be, if it's Dante or Triquez, like, as we've seen, right. against again if one of those guys lines up on a dunze a lot, you know where the ball's going. Like I, you know that they're gonna try to take advantage of that at least.
2: I
0: found the the Penix splits tweet that I was looking for earlier. Uh, First five games of the year, 74.7 completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions. Now, obviously it's against lesser competition and non-con. So, you know, that helps too, but then you get to his last seven games, which includes the Oregon game in week six, uh, 59% completions, 16 touchdowns, six interceptions. So yeah, like it's, it's, It's worse but again that could be because of non-con it could be because of an injury that hasn't really been disclosed it could be for a bunch of reasons but um he's certainly not playing as well as he did earlier in the season in this latter half of the season and if you're oregon
2: that's you'd rather have that version than the really good one obviously i was just going to point out that dan i think it was after the oregon state game i believe i don't think he said it before but he said that They put their corners in very difficult positions the way Mm -hmm. that they play and that it's a lot of one-on-one football. And that, like, against Washington the first time around, the second half, like what Jared said, they were playing with Manning and Bridges almost exclusively at corner. I thought Manning did okay. Um, Obviously, Bridges gave up the touchdown pass. He did all right, too, for his own, you know, yeah, it's a good moments. Yeah, they, they both had ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. But like I I I feel a lot more confident in Oregon's secondary if it's hey, it's our first and third best corners instead of our third and fourth best corners. Like mm-hmm. if, if Jackson's able to play the whole game, things change. Um, for in my opinion. Um but if they get back to that situation where Florence can't play, and then any one of those three guys whether it's Florence or Bridges or Manning, gets hurt. Now you're in a position where Nico Reed's probably playing corner, and that's not always his best skill set. He's he's solid, but not as good as the other ones. Um, and it opens the door for a bigger opportunity for the one-on-one back shoulder fades that they throw in Oregon's yeah. situation of Dan Lanning saying, we put our corners in difficult situations. I just don't think this is – this isn't like – the easiest matchup for Oregon even though they have really good corners it's just the style that UW plays and the back shoulder throws that they always do like that it's just incredibly hard to defend no matter how good you are yeah and
1: just the last thing I know we've all had our own last things over and over here on this one but I think it's a it's such a big part of the game Um, to, to the Nico Reed part I'm fine with him most weeks playing on the outside even though he's been predominantly playing in the slot this is a really tough one based on the size advantages washington's receivers would have against him nico is of the what four or five guys that they play at corner regularly by far the smallest or at least the i think he and dante are similar in height but dante has the length advantage with his wingspan so um yeah i agree that would be a matchup you you probably also see washington is going to exploit any of these matchups as best they can, but that would be one I think they'd be particularly aggressive of looking after. All right. Third question from at UOLife84457. The Ducks have improved every game since the start of the year. Which position group has shown the most growth or has been the biggest surprise? Hashtag thoughts and Audibles. First off, I, I agree with that opening statement. Just think about the just just a quick aside here, think about the conversations we were having after that game in Lubbock, right? I mean, like Oregon won the game. I think we all felt like pretty good that they they showed some some toughness and resiliency and, and didn't quit and and had the made the necessary plays to to respond. But there was a sense coming out of that of like, ooh, like are they is this is this defense actually as good as we think it's going to be? And is this offense really that good? And there were some mistakes that were made there that you were kind of just going like, oh boy, are they going to be this undisciplined with all those penalties? And as the season has gone on, I think a lot of the things that you were concerned about coming out of that game and certainly things you were concerned about coming out of the Washington game have have seemingly become things that aren't quite as big of issues or even somewhat strengths. Um, So uh, I think that's a good point to start with. To the position groups, there's kind of like two choices for me. Um, I'll pick one, and then I imagine somebody else will pick the other, and we I'll add on to it. And if none, neither of you do, then I'll bring it up at the end. Um, I'll just start with the offensive line, uh, maybe because I've written so much about it recently on the site. I had a couple of features over the last couple of weeks on on different parts of this, but like this was a group that like the position coaches were saying like you are the weakest unit on the team like that was what elite terry was telling his guys leading into the season and now this is a group that's maybe favorites or certainly pretty high up there in terms of winning the joe moore award this year and that goes to the best offensive line so um to me that's pretty simple i think that group has really played well i know there have been some some penalty issues and there have been times where there maybe been some issues with snaps and whatnot but like Oregon runs the ball really effectively. Bo Nix never gets contacted, really. Um, and, you know, obviously he makes up for some of that because his pocket awareness, I think, is really elite. But I just think the offensive line has performed at a really high level. And going into the season, that was kind of the point of emphasis of, like, are they going to be good enough here? And they're certainly good enough. This is a championship-caliber offensive line, and a lot of credit to Elite Terry and the guys for, for getting there. So that would be my pick.
0: I'm going with cornerbacks. I know we just talked all about them, but uh, that's been the most impressive group to me. I thought the offensive line was going to be fine this year. I thought it was a little overrated how um, how they were the weakest link and how they did have to replace these guys because they were returning Stephen Jones and Marcus Harper and Jackson Powers Johnson. That's three of the five. And I thought Josh Connerly looked good in limited spurts and he's a talented fella. And then I liked the Johnny Cornelius, uh, mostly because he was from Rhode Island and New York. But, you know, he looked good on tape too uh quarterbacks to me i thought was the biggest question mark because they clearly did not have a great season in 2022 um at points like christian gonzalez obviously was the number one dude but he was off to the nfl you bring back triquest bridges you bring back dante manning you bring in a couple of four-star freshmen but you know again you're at yeah, at that point you were looking like you were going to have to ask Roderick pleasant and dale and austin to play big minutes and then you get kyrie jackson in the transfer portal and it's like I I don't know what to make of him. Like he has the size and I guess the athleticism to be something, but um, you know, he plays very limited snaps in 2022 at Alabama. He plays in the postseason a lot for 2021 Alabama, but you you just, you're kind of, you have a giant question mark over the position group. And then you get to the start of the season. And when you, when we all thought it would be Kyrie and Triquist Bridges on the outside, it's actually Kyrie and Jaleel Florence. So then you have another question mark in there. It's like, you liked what you saw for Jaleel Florence as a true freshman, but could he handle the bigger workload? Could he handle going against the passing attacks that he is going to go against that this season? And, you know, I, I think it all really changed uh, against Hawaii. I thought that Oregon's secondary had a great game against Hawaii and a really proficient passing attack. And then it just kept going and going and going, and especially against Colorado, where Kyrie Jackson has an amazing day. Um, people have been hurt, and it's kind of been up and down with the injury bug. Um, guys like Dalen Austin, Roger Pleasant aren't aren't playing. You know, Jaleel Florence. We just talked all about him, and then Kyrie Jackson is Mister Gamer too. But they've had a lot of depth. I mean, when Nico Reed, Dante Manning, and Kyrie er, and uh, Triquist Bridges are your numbers three, four, and five cornerbacks, that's pretty damn good. And I think they've improved a lot over the course of the season. I think they've gone against some really difficult competition in the Pac-12 and their quarterbacks. I think that they've improved. I think that they've held strong during the course of the year. Um, I just think that it's it's the 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 real key to what this defense is doing that and the pass rush. They're in coverage and they're playing good man coverage, like like Matt was saying earlier, how they asked their defense, how Dan asked his defense to play man-to-man tough matchups. They're doing that and giving the defensive line enough time to get to get home. And I think that's kind of why this defense has been clicking so much this year. So I'm going cornerbacks.
2: I'm going to go linebackers. I I think last year we we saw a good front defensive line um, against the run, getting after the quarterback, but Oregon's linebackers just weren't, whether it was good enough, they didn't have enough of them, they weren't healthy, whatever you want to use, combination of all of it. they They couldn't finish the plays, and Oregon struggled, I felt like, against some of the better rushing teams and on the schedule that they faced. Um, we saw them struggle in coverage and this season um, they've improved. I think every week you, you go back and you look at the Texas tech game. Um, Boston made that play at the end of the, at the end of the game to, to ice it and to win it with, with the touch with the interception return for a touchdown. Um, you go and you look at the Utah game and just how well Oregon played at that position. Um, you look at the SC game and c- keeping Caleb Williams limited. You're, no one's going to stop him, but they they limited his his impact in that game from a scramble ability and whatnot. And then this past weekend against Oregon State. Um, Oregon's linebackers, I felt like were really, really good. I think Jeffrey Bossa has been one of the most improved players on the team um, from where he was last season to where he is now. And every week he just seems to get a little bit better. Um, and I know the linebackers aren't the only ones that play in this stat, but I think they have the make or break factor of filling the gap or not filling the gap that's created by the defensive line. But This season, Oregon's run defense has had six games where they've had an opponent average less than three yards per carry. Um, That's the most in the season since 2009 um, by Oregon's defense. Uh, College football stats only goes back to 2009, so I couldn't – I didn't look beyond 2009, so it it could be even further than that, um, the last time they've done that. But I think that's pretty impressive, and – we've now got the combination that people were hoping for last year with a pretty good defensive line that could create holes and gaps for the linebackers to fill and make plays. They just couldn't do it. And this year they are.
1: Linebacker was going to be the other position I wanted to touch on. And I wanted to touch on specifically Jeffrey Bossa because I've tried not to make too much out of PFF grades. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is to, because I made too much up out of, pff grades last year so i just want to bring up the fact that jeffrey boss's pff grade last year was 45.5 and his tackling grade was 47 this year 72.9 overall 79.3 tackling grade that's all i'm going to say on pff today on the show but i just wanted to kind of put that out there we were critical last year in part because pff thought he was not very good pff this year thinks he's actually one of the team's better defensive players, and and prop, you know he was he's in the range to be at least in the conversation for an all-conference caliber linebacker, which is impressive growth for a guy who a year ago I think was was one of the worst starters in this conference based upon that specific metric and how they were grading players.
2: Is there anyone else to consider for most improved player uh, on, on this Morgan's roster? I I don't think there is.
0: You could say Bo. It's pretty damn good this year. <laughs>
2: that's a good. That's Compared the right answer. Year. That's the right
1: answer. Yeah, but probably. Bo was all Bo was Short really good already. was
0: pretty good this year too.
1: Uh, I, but to Matt's point of guy a guy going from like mediocre yeah. to really good, I think that's the probably the right answer.
0: Yeah, no, I Stephen
1: Jones would be a guy to throw in the conversation because I know last year he was injured, but he had some kind of rough play, and he's been I think excellent this year.
0: Yeah, maybe Florence. Well, I mean yeah I was going to say Florence as well he's just handled a bigger workload and, and still done a good job with it Steve Stevens Steve Stevens I just I was just yeah. raised were set yes yeah that's the other one those are He's the up there for sure um I wanted just a quick thing on the linebackers um you know Justin Jacobs was hurt for most of the year yes. and Jamal Hill did a did a great job filling in and you know his snap count has been destroyed in recent weeks because of Justin Jacobs' emergence which shows you how much they'd like Justin Jacobs going into the year and how different, even honestly, how different the defense could still be if he had played the full year, which would be a you know, really interesting thing to think about. But, um, you know, they all packed on 20 pounds of muscle after the offseason they moved Jamal Hill down from safety to linebacker. Um, they just have more speed. They have more speed and the physicality is the same and they're able to go north to south and east to west. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, but – Last year in Oregon's linebackers, like Noah Sewell couldn't go east to west. Simple as that. And Jeffrey Pasa could because he, he was a safety. He was a converted safety. But, you know, he would meet Jaquinnon Jackson in the hole and get bowled over or Damian Martinez and get bowled over. And that was the problem. That's why, you know, Eric referenced his tackling grade from a season ago being so low is because, you know, he was there to make the tackle. He just wasn't strong enough to perform an arm tackle or, and people would just break free. Um, he's added 20 pounds, 25 pounds. He's kept the same athleticism and agility. We talked about that with him. Uh, shoot, probably in like in fall camp at the very beginning. Um, like, Do you feel faster? He's like, yeah, I know. I feel faster and more agile, but I'm also 25 pounds heavier and stronger. So that's the biggest difference. And that's exactly what they needed in Oregon's defense. They are able to blitz their linebackers. Like last year, it was a straight line drive blitz. Boom, right through the A or the B gap with Noah Sewell. And this year they're able to come around in all these different angles. They're able to stunt around the defensive lineman uh, and try to confuse the offensive line and break either they break free or a defensive lineman breaks free. It works now. And it's, it's such a huge key in this defense because you look at like Georgia's defense with Dan Lanning, like they always had an elite athletic linebacker like N'Kobe Dean and that's the Jeffrey Basso role this year. And he plays, basically double the amount of snaps as any other linebacker on the field. And that's why Um, he's incredibly improved and he's been performing at an elite level. So yeah, I'm I'm even more excited to see what he looks like next year. If he, if he decides to come back, which I think he should, um, what he'll look like next year with a full off season of again, being a fully, fully grown big boy linebacker.
2: All right. Say a quick break. When we come back, we'll finish up the mailbag. Three questions in, two more questions to go. Welcome back to the Odds and mailbag. Real quick, rem- remind you guys 75% off an annual membership is ending Tuesday night. So, November 28th is your last day to take advantage of that. Whether you're listening today on a Monday or sometime maybe on Tuesday, I hope you take advantage of it. It's the easiest and most impactful way to help support and keep this podcast running.
1: All right. Fourth one from at X Nightmare 1776. Hey, I know that year. I know the significance of that. Lots of people on Twitter are saying that the biggest roadblock for Oregon to make the CFP is Texas. If we beat Washington and Texas beats Oklahoma State, what's the likelihood we make it or get left out? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, We are recording this podcast, obviously, prior to Tuesday's reveal of the updated CFP rankings. Um, What I will say about this is, hypothetically, if this was Oregon versus Texas for a spot, Oregon has been ahead of Texas in every one of these college football playoff rankings. And a win over Washington is certainly more impressive than a win over Oklahoma State. So, um, unless we see a change in terms of their positioning before this Friday's game in Las Vegas, I would be very, very surprised to see Texas leapfrog Oregon based upon all of the resumes and everything that's already taken place. I think the fact that Oregon's been the top ranked one loss team all along is very encouraging. Um, and that Texas has been behind them the whole time is also very encouraging for this. I also had a little fun. I don't know if you guys have done this yet with the college football playoff predictor that ESPN has, oh, Yeah. Um, and so I was just going to run through this. They've updated it now so you can pick the winners of all the different conference championship games. And I've got three different scenarios here. And I wanted to tell you that I'll just kind of spoil it here. Oregon has a 94% or better chance in uh, all three of the ones I'm about to read. Or sorry, 85% or better chance at all three of the ones I'm about to read. The, the one there where they have the lowest percentage chance would see uh, Georgia winning, Florida State winning the ACC, Michigan winning, obviously. Uh, Texas winning and Oregon winning. If that were to happen, they would be given an 85% chance of making the college football playoff, according to this. Um, If you were to say, hey, let's see what happens if Alabama upsets Georgia and the SEC and all the other conference Mm -hmm. championship games go the same way as I just said, Oregon's odds actually increase, according to this, up to 94%. And then Texas jumps in over Alabama with Georgia not in there, which I don't fully agree understand i would imagine that would actually be georgia would probably have a very good case to be in there Um, but i digress and then the third one that i kind of got a little more creative with um, as well would see what happens if louisville pulls the upset over florida state and in that case um, oregon's basically a 99 percent chance to make it so um, i think the odds are pretty good that if oregon wins on friday they'll be in I do sort of question the second scenarios. Whoa, the odds that were presented okay. from the <laughs> from the second scenario because I don't see Georgia just being completely eliminated from the conversation with a loss to Alabama. And if if it came down to in that hypothetical situation, um, Oregon and Texas for that last spot, and Alabama also being in the conversation, it could get again. That would be with Georgia. Oregon, Texas, and Alabama all being one-loss teams with Michigan and Florida State being undefeated teams. That could get a little bit dicey, but I've yet to come up with the situation here that I put in here where the odds aren't very, very much in Oregon's favor um, that they make the playoff. Assuming, of course, they, they win on Friday. A loss here, there's no conversation to be had.
0: Yeah, no, no zero conversation if they lose. Yeah. Um... You know, I have to. You have to feel good about it because Oregon has been the highest one-loss team in the country this entire college football playoff rankings, and they don't have the win of the year, which as of right now is still Texas over Alabama in Alabama. Um, That win, you know, decreases a lot in value if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game, because then it's a two-loss Alabama team, which. Again, it's still a good team. They still went um, eleven and two on the season, and um, going to be a top ten team playing the New Year's Six Bowl. But when it only matters about the college football playoffs, like that's going to be in favor of Oregon. Um, Texas, obviously, this is where it gets to more of the eye test than the strength of schedule and the strength of right and all that other stuff. Um, because Texas, like Washington, has had some close games. They've really not put away opponents. Um, I know that Quinn Hoers was uh, hurt for a little bit. He was hurt for a couple weeks actually, and they've had Malik Murphy get in there, and, and he's been fine and taking over the offense. Um, I really like Texas's defense. I think it's one of the better ones in the country. Um, but again, they, you know, they lost to Oklahoma, which at this point isn't a great loss because Oklahoma, I can't remember where they are in the rankings, but they've kind of fluctuated up and down. They've had some weird losses. Oklahoma lost to Oklahoma State, at one point, who I think is in the 20s in the a- a- recent AP poll, um, Oregon's loan losses to Washington. And that's still a top four team right now in the country. So, and if they beat them on Friday, then it washes it out. And then you look at Oregon's schedule and say, all right, well, they, they did lose that one game to Washington, but every other Pac 12 team, except for the USC game, which again only looks close on paper, you know, they've, they've blown everybody else out of the water. And that's more than you can say than Florida State or Texas that we are exclusively talking about in this situation. And like the only other teams to really do that have been has just, has honestly just been Georgia. Like Georgia has found a role on offense and has just started blowing teams out of the water now. And even Michigan had close games against Maryland. Obviously, the Ohio State game was close, but it's a good Ohio State team. Like as long as as long as Oregon takes care of business, I don't see how they're not in.
2: The committee has kind of already told us that Oregon doesn't need to worry about Texas as long as they win um, because yep. Oregon's been the highest ranked team with a with a loss in its entirety now on Tuesday like a like character said this is Monday when we're recording this we don't know the rankings that may change on Tuesday does does the committee put Ohio State ahead of Oregon or do the ducks maintain that top spot I I would think Oregon maintains it, but stranger things have happened. Maybe Ohio State drops that in. Um, But even then, it doesn't matter because Oregon's playing a game and Ohio State isn't. So I I think if you're Oregon, you don't need to worry about anybody else other than yourselves. And that's kind of what Dan's message has been all year to his team. And if you're a fan, I would just subscribe to that theory as well because if you win on Friday against Washington, you're in the playoffs. Yes, you can't say it definitively, guaranteed. There's that 1% chance that they're not in. But the percentages show it would take some crazy wild wacky scenario and then the uproar would happen, but every, you know, everyone would be on your side of Oregon not being included. So beat Washington in your what you're worrying about at that point is do you get to go to Pasadena for the Rose Bowl, or are you the four seed and you have to go to New Orleans and play in the Sugar Bowl? that That's kind of what you're worrying about if you win, which you still have to do, by the way. It's still pretty important, that part. Yeah, to be, yeah uh, still, still important. I, I just
1: had one last kind of question to posit here. Um, and I know, again, I'm kind of failing to see a scenario where it would really come to pass. I guess it would be the. Georgia loses to Alabama, so they want to have Alabama and Georgia in. Obviously, Michigan is in. And if it came down to – what do you guys think about if it came down to an undefeated Florida State versus a one-loss Oregon team for that last playoff spot? Do you think they could really put a one-loss team in over an undefeated team? I think that's no. that, would be, that would be the place where I'd get – even though the projections I had up there made it look like Oregon would be totally safe. But that's the one scenario that I've kind of been – wrestling with it gets a little weird and I should note, like Florida State doesn't look very good. Like I didn't, I mean, they played much better in the second half than they did in the first half against Florida, but that's not a very good Florida team. That's a Florida team that Utah housed earlier this year with their own backup quarterback and Florida State needed a lot of things to break, right? To to kind of gain momentum there on that one. So that's the only kind of weird thing that stuck in my head that could kind of foil this for Oregon.
2: If If Florida State wins, um, and it's an improvement of the journey to get to that win from last week against Florida, then no. It, I don't see Oregon getting over an undefeated team. But if they struggle again and they win by three and then it's a defensive slugfest, be, not because of the defenses are being so good, but because the offense is so bad. And if Florida State just gets the ball to bounce their own way, and Oregon on top of that, I don't think this happens, but let's just say it does. They blow out Washington, and it's like very evident they are by far the better team, Oregon and Washington. I could see that scenario playing out where it's we've seen two games out of four state. They haven't looked great. If we compare them to everybody else, are they really going to be competitive? This Oregon team just played what was viewed as a college football playoff team and dominated. They've dominated all year. Except for one game when they lost by three on the road, I can see that scenario playing out. But it would have to be a really ugly, ugly win by Florida State and a near perfection game by Oregon. Which the odds of those two things happening are very slim.
0: Yeah, you can't penalize winning if it's Florida State. Like if they if they win, they absolutely deserve to be in. I mean, they'll be. 13 and 0 at the end of this conference championship season. Um, there's that's absolutely no re- I know that they have a backup quarterback and they haven't looked good the last two weeks, but if Oregon had a backup quarterback in and was dominating or was winning, you know, Oregon fans would be clamoring to get into the college football playoffs, oh, even yeah. if it was even if it looked good, even if it looked bad. Um, and that's so it should be no reason to penalize Florida State like if they keep winning with a backup quarterback. Like yeah, no. If they're thirteen and zero, they deserve to get in. But if they lose in the ACC championship game, it is not going to take long for them to get knocked down the totem pole because that's all the the committee's waiting for at this point. Because they have a backup quarterback and they have been winning ugly games. And if they lose, and it just gives them gives the committee one more easy reason to just say, "Oh, sorry, Florida State fans, we gotta we gotta knock you out. You guys lost. You got a backup quarterback, like." But until they lose, you have to keep them in there because you cannot penalize winning.
1: It could just be a very – I just imagine that scenario if an undefeated Florida State goes over a team like Oregon that's been playing as well as it's been playing. That would be a very interesting conversation. And we should note there is, I believe, in the college football playoff bylaws that they will take into consideration injuries that would impact future, future performance. And certainly Jordan Travis not being available would do that for Florida State. Uh, let's hope we don't get to that scenario because that's the only one that makes me a little nervous. And again, that would be Alabama beats Georgia, which keeps Georgia. I mean, would they would they, would they ever pick Oregon as a one-loss conference champion over a Georgia as a one-loss conference non-champion? Like I don't. I mean, this is where you get into this all of this weirdness of what they would actually do. But that would be a very interesting outcome, perhaps. Well, that for- goes
2: back to like the beginning of the year. Everyone said, "Oh, this is the greatest the Pac-12 has ever been all season long," and the league is so loaded. The league is so as talented, and then they went out and they started the way that they did, and on conference play. And I would think that, like, if you're Oregon, you're like, "Hey, look, you yourselves said we, this league was insanely deep and had a bunch of teams, and we just went 12 and one." And we beat every single team that we played on in the conference. Um, we won our conference and Georgia didn't win, even though the SEC is good. Like they didn't win their conference. We did. We have the same record. I I would, it sounds crazy, but I would think, like, <laughs> I would think that matters. Like, Hey, like, yeah, you I mean, didn't win. You didn't win your conference and in sports, it's the winner moves on and you lost your last game of the season. Unfortunately, you won the previous twelve. But what you did those previous twelve doesn't matter anymore. It's this one game, and you lost. And Oregon didn't. Um, I would you would we be surprised at all? Let's say Florida State does beat Louisville. Yeah. Oregon beats Washington. Uh, Georgia wins, and then Michigan obviously wins. Would would we be surprised though if? A one loss Oregon team jumps an undefeated Florida State team and gets the three spot and Florida State is the four. Would that surprise us? No. No, I think that, that makes a lot of sense, Matt.
1: Yeah. I think it's and, easier it's easier to ding Florida State from a seating position but keep yes. them in the playoff than it is Correct. to just drop them despite them being undefeated. I think that makes sense. Nice.
0: Yeah. And two, three plays in the Rose Bowl. Yes. So and I know that shouldn't matter, but frankly it has in the past it has directly mattered in 2014 what Oregon played in the Rose Bowl like that that might happen again this time around and again this goes to the point of like what Matt exactly said like a Florida State wins bad Oregon theoretically yeah. wins good I don't know what that even means but they win good then yeah I could see a change happening in the seating but um and i think the rose bowl being a factor here is is a genuine meaningful game for the west coast and if they can keep the west coast team on the west coast i think the college football playoff committee would would do so which is a clear huge advantage to oregon and when when they're going to be playing michigan but it would be a good little big 10 matchup say. in the rose bowl as it always should be for the very final time in our life ex- life's existence so I,
1: I, I was just gonna say there would be something extremely poetic by the, for the last Rose Bowl between a Big Ten and a Pac-12 team to be Michigan Oregon in the college football playoff spot. That would be
0: would be a sick game,
1: chef's kiss. That'd be that'd be great, and it would regardless of the outcome, it would add a lot to the return game uh, in Ann Arbor next fall in terms of what that conversation is like because one of those teams would hypothetically have ended the other team's
2: this Did, season. Mm-hmm. Guess who would be favorite in that matchup michigan i haven't i have no idea probably michigan oregon is favored according to the action network if they play each other neutral site and it's a one point line but that's still more than I. it's still more than it's more than pick them
1: huh the only reason i'm like sort of surprised is i hold josh pate's model in such high esteem and i think he's had michigan over oregon most recently but he I, i don't know that 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 doesn't totally surprise me. I guess it sort of should, considering that Michigan's unbeaten. And
0: yeah, I'd give like, really Michigan good. minus two. Maybe I minus think, two and a hook.
1: It, it'd be. I think it should be a really close line regardless. Okay, we spent a lot of time on that. This last one, I don't think we need to spend that much time on. It's a question from at Jaws591. I think another first-time question asker, so thank you, Jaws. Would it be better to make a place-kicking change or roll with it? Um... It, I would like to see other options considered in a couple of these places. Camden, by the way, I believe, has the longest point-after attempt streak made. I think he's made 153 in a row, which is the best in the country. So he seems pretty good at that. Um, I, I don't know what Grant Meters has shown in practice. This is the hard part. I also would say I'm, at this point, very pessimistic anytime Camden attempts a over. 35 yards like the splits are pretty bad I, I should have I wish I hadn't pulled up here I should have Jared maybe you can pull up the splits from from that distance and, and beyond I wouldn't mind if it if it comes down to a 38 yard kick giving grant meters a shot I also will say he's a true freshman that's a massive spot it's a conference this is a conference championship game coming up if anything after that would be a bull game with major comp you know major implications it's a tough time in the year to try that. I just think we've gotten to a point here where I have no confidence Camden's going to make any of these kicks. Yeah. So. Um,
0: Camden is five of eleven on kicks over thirty yards this year. That's terrible. Thirty, not not thirty-five. Yeah, that's so. terrible. Yeah, no, it's not good. Um, you, uh, again, we don't go to practice. We don't know what. Well, we do, but we don't get, we is. don't get to
1: watch enough to make any actual opinions.
0: We don't go to practice. We don't know what (laughs) grant meters is. Um, We have no idea. However, boy, would I like to find out. And unfortunately, this is the uh, these are the lack of perks about the new redshirt rules. Like you get four games, and then that's it. But fortunately, the other perk of the waiver recently granted is that the postseason games don't count towards a redshirt. Yep. I brought this up in the message board I think yesterday. It's all been kind of a blur the last 72 hours. But this could be an opportunity for Grant Meters to get into a game because it will not count against his redshirt. And, again, I would be very surprised if that were to happen. Dan has been very adamant this year about sticking with Camden, um, and he certainly has. He's put him in a tough spot or two, but there's also been plenty of moments for Camden to redeem himself and hit a 34-yard field goal, and he hasn't. And this is this is a legitimate problem now. Plus, the kickoffs out of bounds are even worse. Oregon is last nationally, or tied for last nationally, with kickoffs out of bounds with six. And I don't know who the team is, or who they're tied with, but I bet it's not a great team. I bet it's not a team competing for the college football playoffs. Um, So yeah, I know I'd like to see what Grant Meters has, but like Eric said, this is also the Pac-12 championship. Maybe there are, I I don't know. Maybe it's no time like the present, but. I I do think that if they were very confident in what Grant could do, they probably would have burned up his red shirt.
2: Uh, I'll pick option C. Make a change at kickoffs. I agree um, with that. Do that. Change And have someone else be responsible for kicking off the football. And then I just wouldn't go for a field goal unless it's like fourth and 19 and you're at the the 32-yard line. Like, that's just not – realistic to convert um if you're 30 and in i would consider it but if you're at if it's outside of 30 yards i don't kick the field goal you go for it and that's going to open then the door for if they don't convert the fourth down oh dan landy needs to go for the field goal he needs to kick you know take the points well problem is you don't have a reliable kicker to give you the three points that should just be automatic and it's no longer automatic It sucks because I think he's a really cool person. He's a good dude. Yeah. I think um, he had a story that was – is awesome from where he was mentally and then on the field to where he got himself as one of the nation's best kickers even at some point this season. And he's no longer there. Um, Something has happened. He's got the yips or he's got an injury or something. I shouldn't have said that. But – something has happened with his game and he's no longer the kicker that he was. And I think it's going to impact decisions. It should impact decisions. I don't know if we can see grant meters in this game, uh, moving forward. Too much is on the line for an unknown variable. Um, and that kind of goes back to maybe some games earlier in the year where, Maybe if you could have gotten them in, you could have and tried to kick some kicks just to see what he can do. But we, like Jared said, we don't see practice. We don't know. Maybe he's absolutely atrocious in practice on field goals and just can't make them. And um, that's why Camden Lewis has remained there. But I don't kick him beyond 30, and I, and I put somebody else at kickoff. Remember
1: how much of a badass he seemed like in Lubbock? Do you remember that post game oh, yeah. interview? He was like, I, yeah. I knew I, I hated to tell these guys they were going to go home unhappy, like all that kind of bravado. Like, what happened to that kid? I'm, i just, oh. it's, it's strange. He's just, it goes just, by
2: pretty
0: fast.
1: I know. I mean, it, it it was two weeks later. He's missed. He starts missing kicks, and he just hasn't stopped. You know, I mean, he he had, he's had a couple of really big moments early on in the year, and then it's just been a mess. Uh, it's been a mess. I agree on the kickoff specialist, and we should note, like, this was supposed to be Andrew Boyle's job, and then Andrew Boyle got hurt in fall camp. And now it's been Camden Lewis's job, and we should also note, like before he started kicking them out of bounds, he was really good at kicking him through the end zone. For like the, if you go look at what he was doing in non-conference play, it's like a totally different player. So I have no idea. I don't have an explanation for it. I know it's not very good. And then the last thing I was going to say, uh, Jared, would you like to know which teams have uh, mo- the most kicks out of bounds on kickoffs this year? Of course. All right. Number one, Temple. So you were right. Not a great mm. team. But go Owls. They've had seven in 52 kickoffs, Tennessee, six in 76 kickoffs, Arkansas State, six in 67 kickoffs, and then Oregon, six in 95 kickoffs. There you
0: go. Not not a great group of teams to be uh, (laughs) situated with, to say the least.
1: Not exactly the best company to be with there, so.
2: All right, it's good to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back later this week as we dive into round two between the Ducks and the Huskies this time. pac of championship on the line and a heck of a lot more. Uh, go to duckterritory.com all week for the lead up of that game. Uh, and until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.
0: Peace.